reading this morning, and I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 16. We will pick up in verse 6. Acts chapter 16. It says, Paul and his companions traveled through the region, Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do so. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the gates to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Then she and the members of her household were baptized. She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. The word of the Lord. Well, how many of you have ever done a blindfolded obstacle course? Are you familiar with them? It's a race where a handful of people are blindfolded and they're set at one end of an obstacle course while they are partnered with someone else who's on the, the sidelines shouting instructions to them. Go this way, go that way, turn here. And usually there's more than one person in that obstacle course and more than one person shouting instruction. And you have to listen carefully for the person who's guiding you, your team, your teammate. They're fun and they're chaotic and they're loud and they're confused and it's, uh, it's just a chaotic mess of fun. And, and the more people, the better, because eventually people start confusing the voices and they're not sure if, if they're hearing instructions from their own partner or if they're hearing instructions from someone else's partner for wherever they are on the obstacle course. And eventually people start running into people and going the wrong way and getting tripped up on things and just generally making a mess of everything. And it takes quite a lot of sheer concentration and teamwork to get from one end of the obstacle course to the next, not to mention ignoring all of the voices that don't belong to your teammate, uh, focusing on that one voice that's trying to get you to where you need to be. And the game is what I think about when I read this passage, because all throughout, there are blindfolded twists and turns and instructions that are being given. And eventually, they lead the players in God's story to, to the finish line that God intends for them. And so we start with Paul. And only a few weeks ago, we learned about some of the twists and turns of his story. We talked about his conversion from persecutor of Christians to Christian. Turn right, said the Spirit. And he turned right. He had a powerful encounter with Jesus that changed the course of his life in every way starting very literally by changing the, the physical path he was on. He was going one place, but the Spirit led him another. Jesus directed him to go to Ananias. 
instead of his next destination, and everything changed for Paul from there. Even at the start of this passage this morning, we find that Paul again is being redirected, more twists and turns. Though he intends to share the good news of Jesus in Asia, the Holy Spirit had other plans and redirected Paul, forbidding him to preach in Asia. Then again, as they're heading to their next destination, the Spirit intervened again. And in verse 7, it says, When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Isn't this starting to seem like a blindfolded obstacle course? Do this, don't do that, go this way, don't go that way, turn left, now turn right, now stop and take a step back and slowly turn left again. It's, it's a mess. Uh, that doesn't mean Paul knew where he was going. He didn't have any clue about what was ahead of him. He wasn't sure where he was going, even, even when he thought he knew, when he thought he had it figured out. And he was on his way to Asia. He discovered that the plans God had for him were not the plans he had imagined. Go left. Go right. Take a large step over the obstacle in front of you. Then Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia was pleading for Paul's help. It was more instruction for making his way through this blindfolded obstacle course. And so Paul set off to find him. He and his companions set off to find the man from Macedonia and it's on his way there that he met Lydia. At first glance, we know almost nothing about Lydia. Scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot about her. Basically, three things. That she worshiped God, that she was at a place of prayer, and that she sold purple cloth. And that's about the extent of what we know about her. That's enough, at least, to take away a few clues. Um, Her name, her location, her occupation tell us that she was a Gentile. Even though she worshipped the same God as the Jews, she probably did not have Jewish parents. She was a businesswoman and a person of means and stature and independence. Selling purple cloth indicates that she was operating at the top end of her market. She was successful and doing well, and the description of the size of her home later in the story will, will lend itself to that assumption as well. But the most important thing that we learn about her has nothing to do with the situation of her life or her success or her career but the situation of her heart. She was open to God. Her heart was open to God. Paul and his companions, they had set off to find a place of prayer. There wasn't a synagogue in the city of Philippi, and so they were in search of a private place where they could observe the Sabbath, where they could worship and pray and and fulfill their Sabbath commitments. Turn left, said the Spirit. Duck under this obstacle and take one large step forward. And of all of the places that Paul and his companions could have arrived, rather than finding a quiet place as they intended, they settled among a group of women gathered outside the city gate. They settled among Lydia's people. And while there were any number of reasons the women might be gathered out there on this day, we can also assume that because it's the Sabbath and because Lydia was a devoted worshiper, they were there observing the Sabbath as well. Paul and his crew sat down, and they began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And Lydia heard the news of Jesus, and she embraced it as truth. The story of her conversion is told very simply. Verse 14 says, The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's words. It was the Lord's initiating action in Lydia that allowed her to respond to his truth. And that's it. That's the story of her conversion. Of course, conversion might be the wrong word. She already loved God. She was already pursuing God. This is the moment where she discovered the good news of Jesus and developed a love for him too. 
Lydia was by the river on the river on the Sabbath in an area that did not have a synagogue. I think it's a fair assumption that, that we're not stretching ourselves too much to make that she's there to pray and to worship, and her discovery and embrace of Jesus confirms to us that her heart was open to the movement of God, even if that movement was new and unexpected. It was new revelation, and here's God. He's just tapping softly on a window that is already open. Lydia is open already. To me, Lydia is, is the perfect portrait of a strong faith. Her faith does not rely on what she knows or who she is or what she does, but on who God is. And there's room for mystery, and there's room for learning something new. If, if God appears differently to her than she has known, her faith is open to new revelation because it was already open to the possibility of something unknown. There was already room for mystery. She could hear this news of Jesus and respond to it. Sometimes I find it helpful to ask myself bluntly, are my ears open to new and unexpected ways that God might be moving? Do I still have room to be surprised? Lydia is a wonderful example of someone who was, who could be surprised, and when God revealed himself to her, she recognized it. She knew it to be of him. She couldn't have known at this point who Paul was. There was no reason in, in the city of Philippi for his voice to carry any authority. And the news of Jesus to ears unready to hear it is just as absurd then as it is today. A crucified Messiah is a failed Messiah. A resurrected Messiah to ears unready to hear is, is a foolish tale. But to those open to a new movement of God, it's the next step in the unfolding of God's history. It's the new thing God is doing and it changes everything. Lydia's remarkable faith is demonstrated by her recognition and embrace of this new movement of God. And there are two important things that happen in the story that follow. First, her family is baptized into the church following their confession and their faith in Christ. And second, Lydia, who is clearly of considerable means, opens her home to Paul and his companions, where they set up a new base of operations right there in Philippi. See, this whole story, which I've been comparing to a blindfolded obstacle course, led to a finish line that no one could have anticipated. Think about the twists and turns that, that have led to this moment. The church, only a few chapters back prior to this story, wrestled with the place of the Gentiles and learned to embrace them. We read the story last week when Peter baptized Cornelius and proclaimed to the, the Jewish followers of Christ that there was room for Gentiles too, that God was moving among the Gentiles. That set a foundation for the church's embrace of Lydia. And then Paul set off with a plan, but Paul's plan was disrupted. He was given a vision and a course to, to pursue that vision, and he was disrupted again. He had assumptions about how his journey would go, and they were interrupted. And all of those disruptions and inconveniences and abandoned paths have led him here to Lydia, where he baptized her and her family and discovered a new missional opportunity that he could not have ever foreseen. And he set up a new base of operations among a people who didn't even have a synagogue to worship at. And by the way, as far as we know, he never meets that man from Macedonia. He wound up exactly where he was supposed to be nonetheless. Paul could have been frustrated by this whole thing. I probably would have been. It's frustrating when our plans get disrupted. I don't like interruptions. I start my day out with a plan, kind of knowing how it'll go, and I like to see it through. 
I, I, I can't stand being interrupted when there's something that I know I need to do or something that I want to do. Predictability is my friend. Or is it? Is predictability my friend or is predictability my God? Do I depend on predictable patterns and having control of my path that I take? And if so, am I leaving room in my life for the mystery of God? Is there room for disruption? See, if Paul insists on preaching in Asia like he had planned, or forces his way into Bithynia where he had planned to go, or ignores the women outside of the gate because he is on a mission to see a man in Macedonia, or because he's caught up in frustration because of how many times his plans have been interrupted now, if he resists these disruptions, or goes his own way, or insists that he knows best, or rationalizes in his mind that surely God isn't telling him to do this after all, he misses out on Lydia. He misses out on a new missional opportunity that accompanies Lydia's newfound faith in Christ. But all of this happened in part because rather than seeing the disruptions in his life as inconveniences or frustrations or defeat, Paul asked, what are you doing now, Lord? How are you going to use this disruption for your glory? Because as Paul made his way blindfolded through this obstacle course, he singled out the voice of the Holy Spirit who instructed him, turn left, turn right, take three steps forward, take one step to the side. What would happen if we learned to look at the disruptions in our lives and the inconveniences in our lives as the movement of God, and instead of becoming angry or defeated or frustrated, we asked, what are you doing now, Lord? What if we opened ourselves to the possibility that God has a missional purpose for us even in the midst of a frustrating situation? And this disruption is an opportunity for us to see God at work and to partner with Him in the work He's doing. You see, God has gone before all of the people in this passage, and He has prepared them ahead of time. In the story, Paul is doing his part. He's listening, and he's obedient, and he goes where God leads him to go. And Lydia is doing her part. She's worshiping. Her heart is open to the movement of God. But it's God who guides all of these things and brings them together. He is working in and through all of these situations. And I hope that we don't do what would be entirely too easy and say, well, what a nice ending to this story, and overlook the absolute miracle that takes place because God is not just doing good, nice things in this story. He's accomplishing otherwise impossible things in this story. If it wasn't for the disruption of God and the obedience of Paul and the open heart of Lydia and the Spirit's guidance of Paul and Lydia, Paul never would have come to Lydia Lydia would have never heard the gospel, and Philippi would have never had the opportunity to encounter the gospel through Lydia and Paul and his companions. All of those disruptions led to more than just a good thing. They led to an otherwise impossible good thing. What if we learn to embrace every disruption and ask, God, what are you going to do with this one? How are you going to use it? What if we woke up every morning and asked, Holy Spirit, guide my steps to your destination today? What if we expected to see God at work and to be used by Him? So we lived like there was opportunity in every moment and gave God full permission to use our lives for His glory, even if it disrupted our plans. What kind of adventure might we live?
What if we expected, we expected that every single person we encounter, God was already at work in their lives? Because He is. He is at work already in every single person we encounter. We call it prevenient grace, the grace that goes before us. God is already at work that we could not ourselves have known him if it were not for his grace already at work in us. And that same grace is at work in the people around us. He's at work in that person in your life who seems most hopelessly lost to you. When you approach that person, do you approach them based on your personal feelings of frustration and annoyance and anger and discomfort? Or, or do you approach them knowing that God is already at work in them? God is working in their lives, and He might just use you today to be Jesus to them. He might just use you today to show them what faith in Christ looks like. What would happen if we saw each and every person as someone who God was already at work in, and each and every inconvenience as a way to be used by Him? If your canceled vacation that you were so looking forward to, that you felt like you so desperately needed, was an opportunity to be used by God, could you learn to say, thank you, Lord, that you have other urgent plans for us? How can we be used by you today? What would it look like for, for us to develop such sensitivity that our disruptions become joyful opportunities and all that it takes for us to recognize them as a soft tap at an already open window? I'll be the first to admit that sometimes my voice is too loud or the voices of other people around me are too loud. It can be hard to discern the, the sound of God's Spirit. But if we learn to pick out the voice of God's Spirit from among the other voices shouting instruction at us, then we discover that there is victory as the Spirit guides us to all kinds of unknown and unexpected destinations. Even when, like on a blindfolded obstacle course, we can't see exactly where we're going. We don't know what is ahead of us, even when, like Paul, our plans are disrupted again and again. All throughout this passage, God is initiating action, and he's inviting response. It's God who directs Paul. It's God who opens the heart of Lydia. It's impossible from the start of this passage to have any clue about what God is doing or where he's taking them. It's only possible to say, yes, Lord, or no, Lord. And Paul and Lydia said, yes, Lord. We're now in the final weeks of a series that has spanned months now, Exhale, Inhale. And through Lent, we talked about exhaling to make space in ourselves for God to do something new. Uh, exhaling assumptions, exhaling our ideas or agendas or expectations and anything in our lives that we were holding on to that didn't belong. And, and at Easter, we shifted. Anticipating Pen Pentecost, we shifted to inhale, allowing God to fill that space that has been emptied. Lydia was invited to inhale, to take in the news of Jesus. Paul was invited to exhale, to release his plans to God so that he could inhale, going wherever it was that God was sending him. We're now only a few weeks away from Pentecost Sunday, coming to the end of the series. What might it look like for us to learn to exhale our plans and our expectations for what the future holds for us so that we might take in new, continuous adventure with God? What might it look like for us to set off on that adventure with Him, not knowing where we might end up, but listening for the voice of the Spirit as it says, turn left here, turn right there.
as he leads us wherever he has for us next, even if it's inconvenient and even if it's disruptive. Trusting that he'll use us wherever he takes us and trusting that each morning we wake up to the possibility of new adventure in him. Are you open to disruption this morning and to seeing those interruptions as our li- in our lives as opportunities for God? Will you join me in prayer today? Lord, we praise you today for those moments of disruption. It is hard, we confess, to walk away from our plans and our expectations and the things that we thought would take place. We, we confess, Lord, that it's hard to be disrupted. It's hard to face inconveniences. It's frustrating. And yet... We pray, Lord, that you would teach our hearts to embrace those disruptions as opportunity for you to do something new. Teach us, Lord, to expect that you are at work already around us. Train our hearts to recognize your provenient grace in the lives of other people. You are already at work, Lord, in those who we would otherwise consider most hopelessly lost. And so we pray, Father, that you would grant us sensitivity and love that we might minister to the people around us with the expectation that you are already at work. And it may be your intention to use us in them today. And Lord, as there are twists and turns that we encounter, we pray that you would give us faith to see you in them, that we would be open to the possibilities that are within them. Because, Lord, we know that you have always been a God of redemption. You do not let opportunity go by. We pray, Lord, that we would be just that sensitive. Pray, Lord, that we would be filled with the joy of knowing you. Joy that does not depend on seeing our own plans through joy only that depends on abiding in your love, Lord. Send us where you will have us. Disrupt our lives, disrupt our day, disrupt our plans and expectations, and use us where you have us. Use us, Lord, where you lead us, we pray. We praise you, Lord, for the adventure that you have for us as we walk in faith in you. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.